0: Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I trust that uh, you've enjoyed your time as we've we've gathered together already, already today. Um, Pastor Pastor Brian's out of town this weekend, on, and um, sure, much deserved and needed a break. He was able to spend some time with his with his parents. That's a good thing. So I'm glad that he could do that, and it's a privilege for me to be able to open God's Word this morning. You know. Um, if you have your, uh, your bulletin, if you want to go ahead and take those out, there's going to be some place for you to, to take some notes as we work through our, our study this morning. You know, our culture is probably one of the most distracted cultures that there's ever been. Um, we're constantly being pulled in all kinds of different directions. I was kind of toying with my wife this morning to have her give me a call during my message on my cell phone, um, just to illustrate that, because that's all of us have, that's happened to us, hasn't it not? Right, with the phone rings at a really inopportune time. Um, I told her not to bother with it, but anyway. Um, You know, sometimes it's the the expectations that other people have upon us, and if you're a people pleaser like I tend to be, you know how difficult it can be to not allow other people's expectations to unduly influence you because you don't want to let anybody down. Um, You know, you can feel like you're being pulled in so many different directions all at the same time because people want different things from you. You know, it's kind of like that, that bumper sticker that says God loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life, if you've ever seen that one. But sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Sometimes it's not the expectations that other people have, but sometimes it's the expectation that we assume, that we place upon other people uh, about us. And so the passage we're going to take a look at today, uh, we're going to see just that, that it was the assumption that, that the, uh, the individual had that other people were placing upon her. You know, probably one of the greatest distractions today in our culture, you want to guess? The cell phone, right? The cell phone, you guys agree with me on that? Probably one of the greatest distractions, the cell phone. You know, I remember it wasn't that many years ago where people, like, they had their to choir to, to carry beepers and all kinds of stuff like that, and like they, everybody hated it, they didn't want to do that, they didn't want to be connected, and now it's like everybody wants to, they don't want to ever leave anywhere without their phone, right, still are always connected. Um, In the book, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, the author says that the average person checks their cell phone 81,500 times each year, or that equals out to about 4.3 minutes of waking time, which means that there's going to be some of you here before I finish this sermon will have looked at your cell phone nine times. It's one of the reasons why within the student ministry in FSM, we, uh, we tell our students to put their phones away, to turn them off, not even to use them for the Bible app. The reason I say that is because I know that if it were me and I had my Bible app open and I got a text message, there would be no way in the world I wouldn't be clicking on that to read what the text, right? You know, you follow what I'm saying? You know, and if I think that's true of me, I certainly think that's true of the students. And my guess is that's true of most of you here in this room this morning, that, uh, that it's too hard for us to not read those things. Cell phones' distractions have created all kinds of problems. Um, One of them is distracted drivers, right? Using their phones when they should be paying attention when they're driving, and that creates dangerous situations. So, cell phone distraction not only makes our roads more dangerous, but also can destroy relationships. Distraction makes intimacy impossible because for a person to feel intimate in a relationship, they have to believe three things. First of all, they need to consider that that they're a priority in your life, Secondly, that you have plenty of unrest time available for them. And thirdly, that you're giving them your undivided attention. I mean, just think about what conversations look like when cell phones are present. I mean, if you turn your cell phone off and you put it away, what do you communicate? You're communicating, I'm giving you my undivided attention, right? If you have your cell phone sitting out in front of you so you can see incoming messages, what is that communicate? Even if you only glance at it when it rings, right? But, but what about this? What if you're in a conversation with somebody, and your cell phone rings, and you pick it up, you start flipping through your text messages, or you say, you know what, I really got to take this, right? And you start a conversation with the person on the phone. Now, and I realize that there may be situations where that's, that's necessary, but the majority of situations, that's probably not necessary. Um, but we, we end up being distracted. Distractions in relationships are not only limited to our cell phones. Um, and this is a true story. I heard this of a couple that went on a date out to a restaurant, and so the hostess sat them down and right behind the shoulder of the wife was a TV with ESPN on. And so the wife, right there have yeah, you got the picture, right? They're having this conversation and the husband keeps looking at the TV, right? He keeps watching the game. And so as the dinner was progressing, the wife actually finally got up and and she the husband thought she was getting up to go to the bathroom, and so he kind of watched her as she got up, and she walked, she walked out of the restaurant. And he was a little dumbfounded about that. He wasn't really sure what to make of that, and so he actually got up, and he, and he went outside, and he found his wife out there, and he said, Honey, what, what, what's going on? I'm, I'm confused. And his wife looked at him and said, I'll come back into the restaurant when you will stop watching television and actually start listening to me. That was a true story. And we could talk about all kinds of other distractions, Right? I mean, but the bottom line is this, we live unproductive relationally and spiritual lives if we don't learn to deal with distractions, and so that's what I want to take a look at today. We're going to take a look at a passage of scripture where actually the word distraction is used and see what we can learn that Jesus has to say. All right, so will you pray with me? Father, help us. We need your help, Lord, that we, right now that, that Lord, those things that would distract us would be removed, that we might be able to focus our attention on you. Father, we thank you so much that you have given to us the Spirit of God who helps us to understand the truth, and I pray, Father, that he would have freedom in our midst to do just that. Lord, I pray that as we spend time in your word right now that you would speak to us. Lord, help me to speak that which is truth. But Lord, I pray that that more than anything you would help us to be good hearers and doers of your word and to know what we should do with what we hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible, take it out and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I think there's a, a passage that we may be somewhat familiar with. But uh, Lord willing, will see some truths here that will help us. You know, in, in, the, in this passage, the Greek word here for distracted literally means to be pulled, to be pulled apart, to be ripped apart. Martha is being distracted in this passage, and Jesus warns her that knowing Him is the most important thing. So, so let's take a look at it. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor who preached this, this, uh, this uh, message or this passage, made this, this important clarification. And he said this He says, Distraction is not the same as divine interruption. Distraction is not the same as divine interruption. You know, Jesus, when we look at his life, he seemed to be entirely undistractable, and yet he also seemed to be very interruptible on the other hand. I mean, for example, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' family shows up, and he's teaching, and he doesn't allow their presence to interrupt him from sharing what he knows God wants him to share. Um, In John chapter 4, there's the account there where, where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And if you remember that account, it says that the reason Jesus stopped there was because he was hungry. And so he was actually at the well, and his, um, his disciples had gone into town to get food for them. And, and it says there that he did not allow the hunger to distract him from doing the ministry that God had called him. Now, I, I do um, wilderness trips with um, in Algonquin Provincial Park. We do canoe trips for a week. And uh, we typically use the same Christian outfitter, for all the food and the provisions that we need. And and over the course of time, I've had conversations with them as an outfit, but they said when they first started out, one of the things that they kind of messed up with was they didn't pack enough food for the groups, which became an issue. And the reason it was a problem is because the hungrier that the groups would get, the less that they would be able to listen and focus. So learning went down in proportion to how hungry the participants were. The hungrier they were, the less they concentrated and heard, the more they were distracted. Now, I don't know about you, you know, but, but are you ever distracted because you're really, really hungry and that's all you can think about? Well, you know, Jesus did not allow hunger even to distract him from what God had called him to do. Now, while he was very undistractable, he was also interruptible. Um, there are many occasions where Jesus was teaching and, and someone was needing healing and they would interrupt him. And um, you can think about the, the four friends who brought their friend to Jesus, remember? And they, they, they couldn't get there, so they, they actually climbed up on the roof and they started tearing the roof apart to lower their friend down, right? And that was quite the interruption. And, and Jesus saw that as the work of God and, and he allowed um, himself to, to stop and to, to heal this young man. In, in John 5, 19, Jesus says it this way. He says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So there, there's two extremes that we want to avoid. All right? On the one extreme, we don't want to become easily distractible. But on the other hand, we don't want to be totally closed off to divine interventions or divine interruptions that God, God would have for us. You know, quite honestly, some of the best moments in our lives come from unexpected interruptions. I mean, think about that. Um, as, as parents... You know, probably some of the best parenting moments are those spontaneous conversations that you have with your child that you didn't plan. Or, or you think about, you know, the, the time that, that the Holy Spirit's been at work and the truth of God's been at work and you have that witnessing encounter that you didn't anticipate, you didn't plan on, but God just used you and you were sensitive to the Spirit and you had an amazing conversation. More learning experiences don't occur on our schedule, right? They typically occur on God's schedule. So we need to be open to... We need to be open to that. The Thanksgiving season is upon us, uh, coming up this Thursday, and so we need to learn to thank God for divine interruptions. We need to learn to thank God for that. Henry Blackaby, in experiencing God, he says it this way. He says that we need to be looking to where God is at work, and we need to be ready and willing to join in with whatever, whatever that is. I mean, the bottom line is this is that we need to learn to avoid unhealthy distractions and be open to divine interruptions. In in that message that J.D. Greer uh, was preaching, he says it this way. He says, The successful Christian life is learning to live free of devilish distractions so that we can give full attention to divine interruptions. So distraction is not the same as divine interruptions. Secondly, distraction is often when, we, when the good keeps us from the best. I mean, what Martha is doing here in this passage is not bad. Um, she is serving, she's taking care of people. Hospitality, certainly in the scriptures, is something that, that we're encouraged to do. And undoubtedly, there was, some, there was a social norm in, in Martha's day that, that you welcomed a visitor, that it would be expected that you would prepare some food for them. That's often how distraction works. You know, we're, we're, we're running after something that's sinful. If, if that were the case, we would know that we should stop, and we should, we should stop doing that, right? We know it's not good. But often, we're distracted by something that is good, and that makes it a lot harder for us to recognize. I, I once heard a guy say, he said, my greatest fear in life is not that I would fail. He said, my greatest fear in life is that I would be successful in that which doesn't matter, Often it's not a matter of good versus bad. Distractions often keep us from what is most important or what is best. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul has this prayer that he prays for the Philippian believers. And he says this. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And listen, he says, so that you'll be able to discern what is best. That's his prayer, so that they will discern what is best. We don't want to just let the urgent to keep us from the important, right? Or from what really matters, from what is best. The urgent, the urgent is, is what we feel needs to be done right now, but may, may not be all that significant or important. The important is what's going to make a difference for eternity. You know, if you know anything about me, I, I, I don't use a pen. I make way too many mistakes. I use a mechanical pencil because I can erase my mistakes all the time. And I've had the same mechanical pencil for like four or five years. If I lost my mechanical pencil, it would drive me nuts until I found it. Anybody else like that? You lose something, it just, you just can't focus on anything else until you find it? Yeah, a few of you. All right. I, you know, so it would be really, really urgent if I lost my mechanical pencil to find it. But you know, in the bigger scheme of things, it's not really all that significant or all that important. You, you follow what I'm saying? You know, so we've got to make sure with the urgent and the important that, that we sort those things out. You know, some things, some other things that may seem urgent to us, but really aren't important. I'm just trying to think about that. You know, maybe it's viewing your favorite TV show, right? You can't wait all week long until it comes on TV. And then you get that phone call from a friend that wants to talk, right? And you're like, really? It has to be right in the middle of my favorite show. You know, and you're trying to, okay, do I really want to have this conversation? Well, again, what's more important, right? Or, or maybe it's um, developing a relationship with your, your unsaved neighbors, but you have this endless to-do list, right? that just never seems to quit? You know, which is, which is more important? Or, or maybe it's a cultural expectation, right? What are some cultural expectations, if we aren't careful, can pull us away from God? Um, maybe it's trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? And so you develop a heart of envy and you overextend yourself financially and that creates all kinds of problems. Or, or maybe it's the, the cultural expectation for parenting, right? We don't want to deprive our child of, of, of all the opportunities that are available to them. But so doing means that, you know, that, that our family is never, we don't have time to, to regularly attend church on Sunday, or maybe we don't have regu- time to, to attend youth group or a one or whatever, or maybe we just don't have time to sit down as a family and eat a meal together. It's been said that, that if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. You know, distraction with the good is one of Satan's t- best tools to keep us from actually considering the eternal and what's really important in life? So distraction is often what keeps us from what's best. And and in this passage, we see here, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better, what is best. And that won't be taken from her. What are some of the reasons? What are some of the reasons that we have distraction? Well, I would suggest a couple of things here. But the first one is an unfulfilled heart. An unfulfilled heart. That is that we're distracted by our work. In in Luke um, 10, verse 40 here, it says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that needed to be made. Now, now why is it that she's distracted by her work? I would suggest to you that she was looking to her work for her significance, and, and she didn't want to be seen as a poor hostess. You know, oftentimes, our identities come from our jobs, from what we do, right? In our culture... The first question people ask is, so what's your name? Where do you live, right? And the next question is what? What do you do for a living, right? And oftentimes we get our identities from what we do. You know, so if we feel like we're being productive and we're making a good living, we may feel good about ourselves, right? And we often allow our jobs to be the thing that defines us. Martha should have been so full of intimacy with Jesus and doing his will that she didn't need to feel like she had to prove herself so that she could sit down if that's what Jesus wanted, sit down and spend time with him, right? Or she could get up and serve if that's what he wanted. And and I want you to notice things. Notice the crazy thing about this passage to me. Do you realize that you can even be serving Jesus, and if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, instead of it bringing you closer to Christ, it actually is drawing you away from Christ? Because that's exactly what's going on in this passage. This passage says the Martha's service for Christ was actually distracting her from Christ you hear that our service can actually if we're not doing it for the right reasons can actually pull us away from Christ instead of drawing us to him now we already mentioned that that cell phones are a distraction for many people Why why is that why are we so distracted by our by our phones and I would suggest because many people look to their phones for their significance what do I mean by that well how many likes did I get right or my selfies making me look good, right? Does anybody else's life look better than mine? And, and if I don't answer my phone right away, are my fr- you know, the people who call me, are they going to be upset with me? You know, many people also look to their cell phones for entertainment, right? Because we can pull down videos, we can play games that distract us when we have downtime. Or, or, you know, people also look to their phones just to avoid, you know, just to avoid thinking, just to avoid responsibilities. Instead of dealing with hardship, I just don't want to think about it, so I just pull out my phone, Right? Whenever we look to anything other than Christ to find our satisfaction or our fulfillment or our our, our importance, our enjoyment, we're always going to be left feeling empty because we have an unfulfilled heart. So what else causes us to be distracted? It also suggests a preoccupied heart. Notice Jesus says here in verse 41, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Worried is a similar word to the word distracted and it means to be torn into pieces in many directions. And upset here means to be tossed to be tossed along like a ship with no anchor. Jesus is diagnosing Martha here as being unhappy, unsettled and having an unanchored soul. She's the kind of person who who wants to she needs to be needed. She feels significant when when others are depending upon her. And the question for Martha is why should she need to feel needed by others to feel significant? when Jesus, who loves her, is there to spend time with her? I mean, why would Martha feel worried and upset when the Son of God, who loves her and fully accepts her, is in her house to be with her? Why does she feel that she needs to prove herself? Well, she probably feels like the weight of serving was on her, and if she didn't do it, who was going to do it? Instead of service to Jesus being a joy and a privilege, it's become a burden. I mean, undoubtedly, Martha is probably thinking something like this why am I the only one who's working to get the food ready why isn't Mary helping me I mean doesn't she think I'd like to spend time with Jesus too this isn't fair I do all the work and Mary gets to sit in the living room at the feet of Jesus you know and seriously we we get a glimpse into the heart of Martha here because if she is thinking that why doesn't she just stop the food preparations right and go and sit down with Jesus she doesn't do that because she fails to believe the promise of God that she's not accepted by Jesus based on her performance. She's probably believing that she needed to be busy and saying something like this, you know, if I don't do as much as I possibly, possibly can do, I'm never going to be accepted. Or, or I, I won't measure up, or I'll, I'll disappoint somebody and they're going to be upset with me. If I don't prepare the food, I'm going to look like a horrible hostess. Martha's disbelief leads to a really awkward encounter. And I would suggest it sheds some light on her heart even as she is serving um, because Martha rebukes Jesus and she complains. She accuses Jesus of not caring and tells him what to do in verse 40. She goes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell, Tell her to help me. I mean, just, just think about that, that thought for a moment. She accuses Jesus of not caring? I mean, he's the one who's going to go to the cross and willingly give his life for her. He, he's the one who left heaven, right, became a man, and, and now he's in her home and he's has made a way possible for her to have a relationship. And, and he's there to spend time with her. I mean, have you ever thought like that? Have you ever thought life's not going the way that you thought it should go? This is not the way I like it. And the, the thought that comes to you is, what's the matter with God? Doesn't He care about me? I mean, you ever been there? That's where Martha's at. And, and not only that, but she goes on here and she tells Jesus what to do. The God of the universe the King of kings and the Lord of lords, she's telling him what to do, right? I mean, she goes and she tells, you know, Jesus, you need to tell my sister. She needs to get out in the kitchen. I mean, what this shows us is, is that this distraction and this feeling of, of being overwhelmed and, and hurried often comes out of being terribly out of touch with who Jesus is. She doesn't really know Jesus all that well which is all the more reason that she ought to be seated at the feet of Jesus and spending time with him. Martha has allowed her work to distract her and pull her apart. She's trying, trying to serve two masters. She's trying to serve Jesus on the one hand and trying to serve the God of approval on the other hand. Warren, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. He says, if serving Jesus makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. So what's going on with Martha? Why is she responding this way? And before we're too hard on Martha, she said, you know, ask the question of ourselves. Why why do you serve Jesus? How do you respond when things don't go the way you think they should? I mean, serving Jesus really should be a privilege and a joy. And for Martha, she's struggling with this. It should be a privilege no matter what else happens. But Martha has lost her focus on Christ, and she's allowed her priorities to become disoriented. She's allowing other things to occupy her heart other than Christ. She has a preoccupied heart. So, some of the, distra- the reasons for these distractions in our lives, an unfulfilled heart, that is that we're, we're looking for significance apart from Christ, or a preoccupied heart, that is allowing other things to fill up our heart other than Christ. So what's the answer? What's the yes the answer to distraction is the priority of worship. Let me just say it this way. Whatever captures your heart will hold your attention. Whatever captures your heart will hold your attention. You ever have this experience where maybe you're reading something and it's really not all that. It's actually pretty boring to you. And the more that you read, the the tired your eyes get. They start to get heavy, right? And you have a hard time staying awake, right? You ever been there? And so what do you do? I got to stop. You, You put it down And and so, and instead, you you pick something else up to read. Well, I thought you were tired from reading, right? So you pick up that uh, that hunting magazine, you pick up that cooking magazine, whatever, right? And you start reading. Well, what happened to your tired eyes, right? Now you're totally engrossed, you're totally focused, you're totally awake, you're very alert. What just took place, right? What just took place? Whatever captures your heart, holds your attention. So how does Jesus respond to, to Martha's complaint here? He says, only one thing is needed. Martha, or Mary, has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Well, what has Mary chosen that was better, what was was the best? What, What has she chosen? She is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. Now, in the Bible, whenever you sit at the feet of someone, it's a picture of putting yourself under their authority, Mary is being focused, is is both focused on Jesus listening to him and being submissive to him. Mary is worshiping Jesus and finding her satisfaction in that relationship so that these other things lose their allure that would distract her. The answer to feeling distracted is to get focused and submissive to Christ. In other words, to draw close enough to Jesus that you know his love for you and you know what he wants for you. And as we've already seen in this passage with Martha, she's so far removed from Jesus that she questions both of those things. She questions his love for her, and she questions what she should even be doing. Now, I I want to say this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus does not just mean coming to church once a week and listening to a sermon. And it doesn't mean, you know, getting the information about Jesus from other people. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means being devoted to him. It means having a heart that's captivated by him. It's making it a priority to spend time with him daily, listening to what he wants to say to you. Being devoted to Jesus is doing what he says, not to make much of you, but to make much of him. And Mary understood the priority of worship of Christ before her service for Christ. And until Martha learns to rest herself in Christ and find her identity in him, all of her work for Christ is going to be off. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you button the, the top button of your shirt, you get that one off, all the rest of the buttons are off. All right, so what do we need to do? What are the action points for us then? Well, the first one I want to suggest to you, and that is this, to believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Now, now what do I mean by that? And by the way, let me just say this, and I probably should have said this right up front. This sermon is as much for me as it is for you. I so desperately need the truth of this because I tend to be a Martha I tend to be somebody who's so easy to find my identity in tasks and what I do instead of finding my identity in Christ and what he has done. And so what is the gospel? The gospel, it's so easy for us to believe that you're accepted by God because of what you do. You're a good person. You follow the social norms of your day. You try to be nice to others. But the whole point of the gospel is that you couldn't do anything to make yourself good enough to be accepted by God. And quite honestly, I would say this. At this point, Christianity is radically different than any other religion in the world. Because any other religion in the world pretty much says, do good, be accepted. And the gospel says, be accepted, and then do good. It's 100% radically different. It's 100% different. You are accepted by God only because of what Christ has done. To be a Christian is to trust solely in Christ's death as payment for your sins so that you can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. So hear me then. So to believe the gospel means that you not only repent of your sins, which we get that, right? But it also means that you repent of your righteousness. Those things that you look to to feel good, right? To feel worthy, to feel like God should accept you. Those are the things you need to repent of. To believe the gospel means you stop looking to any other thing, any other activity, to feel significant and good enough. It means that you look to Christ alone and rely on his finished work at the cross because you realize if there's anything else you have to do, the cross was not enough. So we've got to come to the place where we believe the gospel. Secondly, say Christ must be your first priority. You know it has been said of of middle-class Americans that we tend to worship our work work at our play, and play at our worship. Christ has to be the only one that we worship. And this account shows us that distractions grow out of of a messed up heart, of an unfulfilled, of of a preoccupied heart. To be focused on what is most important means learning saying no to other good things so that we can say yes to what is best. You know, whenever I say yes to an outside appointment or or engagement, I'm saying no to spending time with my family. I'm saying no to, you know, that I might take that time and spend time with God. And and so that's the case. And if your schedule is so filled that you don't have time for Jesus, you need to reprioritize your schedule. You need to learn to say no to other things so you can say yes to God. You know, sometimes we have this picture when we think about priorities – we have this picture of a hierarchy where, where Christ is first, right? Then my spouse, then my family, and so on down the line. And I want to suggest to you this whole idea of, of priorities, it's more of an accurate picture to say that Christ is in the center. And all of these things that are involved with my life, they kind of spring out like spokes on a wheel, if you will. But the fact that Christ is the center, and it needs to impact every other area, but whatever, if Christ is not the center, it will impact all these other areas. And so the question is, Is Christ the priority? Is he the center of all of your life? And and real practical number three then is to practice the habit of spending time daily with Christ. Part of the reason that Martha is distracted was because she didn't know Jesus. The only way to truly get to know somebody is to spend time with them. And and as helpful it is to hear a message like this and how other people talk about Jesus, it's not a substitute for you spending time yourself with Jesus. I I once heard of a dad who called out to his son after his supper. His son is up in his bedroom, and and the dad said, son, what are you doing? And his son yelled down the stairs, I'm doing my homework, dad. And his dad said, did you spend time with Jesus today? And his son said, No. And then his dad said, well, you put your homework away and you spend time with Jesus. I love that. I love that. You know, the reason I love that is because what's the higher priority? I mean, homework's important, right? But what's the pri- higher priority? What's more important? I mean, homework's good, but spending time with Jesus, that's best, right? I would suggest to you that the single most important practice that you can have in your life spiritually is this spending time with Jesus in his word just the two of you that is the most important practice you can put into your life now again we don't do that so we're trying to say "Oh, I'm, I'm good enough so God accepts me that's, that's not the reason we do it Well, we've got to make this a priority to spend time. So, question. Is your life distracted? you feel like you're being yanked and pulled in all different directions? Why not make time in your life, turn off your cell phone, remove any of those things that would distract you, and spend focused time with God, allowing Him to begin to reorient your life. I mean, are there things in your life that you're looking to other than Christ, for your significance and your worth? If so, repent of those, right? Make Christ the priority that he deserves by spending time at his feet. Let's pray. Father, you know. You know our hearts. Lord, you know the struggles that we have. And Lord, just as we, we close our time here today, Lord, I, I pray for each one in this room. I pray for myself. God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, help us to, to get rid of those things that may be good, but that are not best. Lord, help us to reprioritize our lives so that we are being intentional about making time to spend with you. Father, forgive us for, for those other things that we look at, that we look to, that we fill our time with to try to find significance or 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 worth, to try to define us other than you. And if you're here today and, and you know that you've been looking to other things other than Christ, I just ask you to, to acknowledge that, be honest with God. He knows that. And repent of those things and, and to put those things away and, and to replace them with spending time with Christ. Some of those may be activities you have to do, like work. But ask God to help you to put the, have the right meaning for why you do those things. We don't do good works to make ourselves acceptable to God. We do them because we're already accepted by God. And if you're here t- today and you're not spending time with God and his word, will you tell God that's, that's something that you'll commit to doing? We've been listening to our sermons the last couple of weeks of not only hearing the word, but doing it. And spending time with, get, in God's word is one of those things that we need to do. Be willing to commit to doing that. And, and if you are, tell it to God. Father, we thank you for that you're never too rushed. You're never in a hurry. You never not, don't have time to spend with us. Oh, God, forgive us that so often we don't seem to have time to spend with you. I pray, Father, to help us. Give us wisdom to know those things that we need to remove from our lives. We need to unplug and turn off. and We might, might spend time with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.